Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clear Path Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, We're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned and thanks for joining. How many of you doing good today? Anybody doing good out there? Enjoying this weather? Got a message this morning for you that I hope that you take seriously. So awkward transition from baby dedication. (laughs) but I do hope that we take it seriously. Um, in February, earlier this year, I preached a message that um, we called, uh, that was about how love and loving well is affected by our sin. And I wanna encourage you to go um, look up that uh, message. I, I, think it's a found, I think it's an important foundational message for our community. Um, just to understand like how sin affects our ability to love. But I'm not going to recap it, but I want to summarize it very briefly. But I want to encourage you to go listen to it. Um, summary is this. When we sin, it is not just a violation of our own uncleanness, but it is a violation of our call to love God and to love others well. And when you look at the first, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first section of the Ten Commandments are, are sins that are a violation of our direct love and worship to God. And the last section of the Ten Commandments are a violation of, of how we love others. And that is why Jesus is able to say, on all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. What are they? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so I want to talk about sin today, but one of my concerns about the way I've heard sin talked about and the motivation that people have to get free from sin is that we've made it very central around our own development and our own ego and our own uncleanness, and we have removed it from the consequence that it has on our ability to actually interact in a way that God has called us to with every relationship in this life. And so when you partake in the death of sin, when you partake in in an ungodly lifestyle, it isn't just consequential for you, it's consequential for everyone that you're involved with. Are you with me? So I want to set that aside and say, go listen to the message in February. Um, And I want to talk to you a little bit about my own journey. About nine years ago, um, Andrew and I moved to Dallas. And we moved to Dallas from Rowlett. And I grew up, you know, when I travel somewhere, people say, where are you from? I would always say Dallas. I'm very proud to say the last nine years of my life, I don't have to go, well, like almost Dallas. Like, (laughs) I'm from Dallas. That's where I I live. And when we moved from Dallas, we were pastoring this church. 
Um, our community came from this church. Our community also was related to my dad's company at that time. And our kids went to a preschool that was a Christian preschool. And so there was this, oh, and even there was people I grew up with, there was this overwhelming sense in my community where most of the people that I was around were Christians and were trying to follow, follow Jesus. When we moved to Dallas, we had one more year of letting Grace go through kindergarten at her existing school. We enrolled her um, in school. It turned out to be public school. Turned out to be a great, you know, experience for us. But if we had moved to other parts of Dallas, um, like Lake Highlands, or there's other different schools, the culture in those neighborhoods are also still very Christian. But the, but the culture of the school that we went to, we were there for three years. We never met one Christian family in three years of being there. And that's just like, if I'm in Rowlett, if I'm in Lake Highlands, if I'm in Roy City, like, that's not going to be my experience. But in this particular school, it was mainly young, wealthy professionals who had, at some point, maybe in previous generations, their families were not, you know, following the Lord. Religion wasn't a part of their life. And so... We knew, we felt like that God had called us into this community to be um, missionaries, to be people who represent light and darkness. I can remember on almost every friendship that I developed in that time, like God gave me the chance to deeply share my testimony, the gospel. I actually remember this one time, my friend who, if I told the story, he would have no problem telling me telling the story. I went to a bachelor party with a friend, and I was the only Christian at the bachelor party. And so the rest of the guys at the bachelor party were, you know, getting just totally wasted. We're all staying in a house together. And my friend made this joke that they would, they would come out one by one onto the balcony and talk to me about all the problems in their life while they were <laughs> drunk, because they knew I was a pastor. And, and so, actually, I remember to you, this is how powerful God works when you're in these kinds of situations. I remember a man yelling at me. I, I started talking to him, and he's like, Jordan, I am a sinful, ungodly man. Like, yelling that to me over and over again. And I'm telling him that that's the presence of the Holy Spirit convicting him of sin, and God's calling him into holiness. Into, I'm not going to use the word holiness, but that's what happens when you're in the midst of those things. But let me tell you something else that happened. And in that journey, which I fully believe God called us to, I notice over years with my activity and my thinking that I allowed myself to become more worldly than I wanted to be. And it took me in the last, like maybe year or two, to realize this. It's like, it wasn't like any monumental thing that happened in my life. It's just the things that I did, the things that Andrew and I talked about. We, we would accommodate like, having a drink occasionally. And then that was two or three nights a week, or it was any time we were going out on a date. We would enjoy certain kinds of music, and the music or movies or whatever 
that wasn't like, you know, necessarily all bad, but those things began filling our lives in a way that our attention wasn't predominantly on what God was doing. I, I think that may be an over-exaggeration to say, like, I think that we were still very focused on God, but there was this slow burn while trying to navigate living in the world. And 1 John 2, 15 through 17, it says something to people like me. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life does not come from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God will live forever. Amen? Amen. Um, so let me just say this. I believe that God has given me a privilege. There's a unique privilege I've had. I've been able to see people who follow Jesus with their whole heart. I've also been able to share community with people who are as far from that as they could possibly be. I've been able to see people who have more money and more resources and more anything of the pride of life than anyone that I could have ever imagined. And it's given me this vantage that people, we can be drawn away by subtle things into a life of ungodliness very easily. And so it has been a... It's been a journey for me of repenting and coming to the Lord. And I, Andrew and I are just like, we've, we've the, the last couple years, we've just named as our season of repentance. And, amen? So, like, I want to say this, though, that it's so important that we learn how to live holy, not in the bubble. But how we live holy in the world. Because yes. I, I, have, I have a personal conviction that there are three vital relationships that God calls every Christian into that are critical for your growth into the fullness of who God has called you to be. The first is that you've, called, you've been called to be his alone. The very first demonstration of holiness in scripture is things that are set aside for God. When God chose Israel, he chose them to be a holy nation his own treasured possession. All the utensils that are brought into the temple and the tabernacle, they're used for God. The second thing is that we are called to, we are called into community with God's holy people. Right? Like, we're not just, it's not just the place you come and do your self-development. It's the thing you're called to. You cannot relate to community as a tool for your development. You have, it is partially that. You have to relate to it as God's calling for your life and love. The third thing is that we are called to those who are hurting and broken and lost. And we have to be able to live with those relationships. And like Zane reminded us a couple of weeks ago, we're called to be light. God has called us to bear fruit of the Spirit in the midst of brokenness. And here's my opinion, that you need all three of these relationships to grow. Like, if you have just God and godly community, you are missing something. You will be anemic in your Christian faith. 
if you're not carrying out a holy relationship in a broken world. It's like water, sunlight, and soil. The plant cannot grow to fullness without all of them. And you need all three. And so it is essential that we must learn how to live free from sin and holy in the midst of a sinful world. It, it's, it's actually important. It's not just that we have to learn how to live holy in the middle of the sinful world. It's actually that it's important for us to see that engaging the world is actually a part of our holiness. And so this, this is a part of our calling. And I'm going to get to Romans 6, which is going to be my primary text, but I just want to lay some groundwork for a second and just chase a rabbit trail for 10 seconds. Sometimes Christians ask me this question, well, all of my friends are Christian. How do I have a relationship with the world? Like, that's a real legitimate question, and I understand that. And so let me just encourage you this. If it is not a part of the course of your life to be experiencing sinful, broken, hurting people who are apart from Christ, you will have to go pursue it. Some of you have lives that it already happens. By choice, by accident, by whatever. Some of you are going to have to go out of your way to pursue being around the broken because it is a part of the God, God's calling on your life. And you will have to inconvenience yourself. Everybody okay with that? So let's, let's keep moving. So, so you have, in order for you to fulfill, you have to be able to do this well. And so today's message, if last time I preached on sin in February was about love and sin, today's is about faith. And we have to have faith that God can take us free from the power of sin. And so let me just give a few thoughts and then we'll jump into the scripture. Because we are born with a nature to sin, when we get into the world, there is sometimes a proclivity to join in that emerges. That's, that's the first thing that's reality. Especially when we find out we are truly submitted in some areas. Because sometimes you think you're submitted to God and the right situation draws out weakness and you have to come back. Like that's what I think would happen to us. We had to come back to the Lord and realize that there were areas unsubmitted. So that's the first thing is that we, we have to understand that there is a proclivity. So church, in church history, there have been many different responses to this proclivity in human beings to be drawn into a life of sin. One of them is like broadly like monasticism. So in the, in, I've talked about this, but in the third century, there was about a century where there were people who went out into the wilderness because it was becoming very difficult in, as Christianity got mixed with empire, it was becoming very difficult to live a holy life. And so there were people who were called out into the wilderness. And I do believe that God called some of those people out into the wilderness. But I want you to see that it was for a season and for particular people, it was never a permanent solution. Well, in, in, I don't want to go through all the church history, but there have been several branches of the church that accidentally or intentionally ended up completely sequestering themselves from the world. And, and the 
results of that are catastrophic in the pursuit of God. Let me just settle you the, you know, the the question. They they don't work in the long term. They work for seasons, times as God is leading, but they do not. It does not work for us to just get away from the world. It's it's not it's not the call of God. Um, there are specific callings and seasons, but it is not the call of God. And I want you to see that Jesus has called you to live specifically in the world, and this is the key. It's not just out of concession, it is out of calling. You're not just conceding that this is the reality you have, it's what you're called to. That's why Jesus in John 17, 15, in his longest prayer says, I, he's praying to the Father, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you will keep them from the evil one. So what do we want to do? Do we want to get out of the world? No, we want to be kept from the evil one. And I hope this morning will we'll give us some instruction about that. So you will have to live in the world knowing these truths. You have it like that we're born with the proclivity of sin. No one else has to show up in our lives. If you parent kids, you will see that they will do crazy things that you never expected because we are born with a proclivity of sin. We don't need anyone to draw it out of us. It's just there. Also, this world can draw it out more if, if we expose ourselves in the wrong way. Jesus is wanting prayer for protection from us, but he was so confident, he was so confident in the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that he specifically asked God not to take his disciples out of the world. Now, what does that mean? It means there is hope for you that you can live free from the power of sin. Amen. I believe that you can live that way, um, but it means that we must depend on God for the ongoing work of righteousness and holiness in our lives a few years ago. Turn to Romans 6. Do you have your Bibles? Um, I'm going to skip that. The most basic lie about sin is that sin has to have reign over your life. I do not believe that sin has to have reign over your life. Okay? So I'm going to read from Romans 6, 1 through 14, and then I'm going to focus on verses 11 through 14. We'll be quick, but, but watch what Paul says. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. 
Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count, this is the part I want to focus on, so hear this. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself as sin, as an, to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. So I don't have time to teach on the first ten verses, but the first ten verses lay out some truth about our relationship to God in righteousness. Let me tell you, basically, what it says. Christ has died a physical death and he has been raised to life. Like Jesus died. He came, he lived, he walked among us, he lived sinless, he healed people, and he died a physical death and was raised to life. And this story, not the story, this reality is the foundation for all of godliness. It is the mystery of our life that as we, are, as we become enamored with and possessed with the gospel that Jesus died and that he lives, like because he died and he lives, we are able to live. Amen. And that is it. I love my, my late theological mentor who passed away a few years ago, Dr. Edward Fudge. He said, you know, when I got older, I changed my testimony. I would tell people the date which I got saved. He said, at the end, I started saying 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who walked and lived a sinless life. And, he, and on that day that he died and he raised again, that day I was saved. And so we need to understand that the foundation for the saving work of Christ is in the foundation of the gospel. And so you've not just been called away from sin, but into newness of life. Okay, so I want to focus on these 11 through 14 because it's not this simple, but you can understand it this way for the sake of simplicity. The first 10 verses lay out the truth about our relationship with God and righteousness. And 11 through 14 lays out some faithful responses to that truth. And I like actually saying it this way, faith-filled responses. And I want you to see these three faith responses that we're invited into. And so... The victory is brought by Jesus, but we have some responses. Like, everybody say, I got to do something. <laughs> so, let's look at the first one. This is in verse 11. It says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. That's what verse, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Another translation says, Consider yourselves dead to sin. There is something that we must see here that is very fundamental and critical to life and godliness. When we come 
to repentance in Jesus and we invite his lordship into our lives, we have been made entirely something new. We have been, we have been brought into new creation just as when God ordered the cosmos with the word of his mouth in Genesis 1, when you are brought into newness of life, the creator of the universe has released something new in you to partner with a different reality. And you have been made new, and so one of the first step of this faith-filled response is that I must consider myself dead to that old way and alive to a new way. What you are in sin is not what you are in righteousness. And when we follow Jesus, in order to follow him rightly, there has to be a shift in our minds about who we believe that we are. Like, and what we consider of ourselves. Like, we have to see by faith that God has made us in Christ entirely something new. And so I want to tell you this today. That is, if you have repented and you're living a life of repentance to the Lord, consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. Like, take that upon as your identity. This is so powerful that it's actually meant to shift how we see others around us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 15-16, it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away, but hold, the new has come. I want to briefly address a warping of this thought, and I, I, every time I talk about a sin, I address this, this lie, because it's so predominant in the charismatic church that we swim in. And the lie is that whenever you sin, that you don't need to feel bad for your sin, you don't need to go confess your sin, you just need to just confess your identity in Christ. There's nothing in the scripture that says this. Like nothing. We are called to consider ourselves dead to sin. But there are a few verses later on that invite us into godly sorrow. That invite us into confession. And I've seen many people like living under this teaching. Still bound by unrighteousness. Just going around confessing their identity. Great. Confess your identity. Also okay to feel bad and go repent to people. Amen. Like it's, it is like sometimes the prescriptions that we give, they're just like a little off and they cause incredible destruction to people's lives. It's not the biblical prescription. The biblical prescription includes you considering your identity to be dead, to sin and alive in Christ, but it is not exhaustively covered in that. Does this make sense to everybody? Okay, so... so the first thing is that we count ourselves dead to sin. That is a faith thing. You have to receive that by faith. Um, the second response is, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So look at the, look at the focus on where the work is here. The first response is consider yourself dead to sin. That is an already done thing. I am to consider myself dead to sin as if that work has happened. And then the second response 
The second command is an ongoing response to God. It says, do not, so Paul just does this, and I think we need both. We need to consider ourselves dead to sin, and we also need to do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You cannot only consider yourself dead to sin. You also must continue to not let sin reign in you. It would not say, do not let this happen, if God didn't believe, if God was just going to win this battle for you. It would say, I will not let sin reign over you. Know what it says? Tell me what it says. Do not let sin reign. If God were going to do all the work for you, it would not say it in this way. It also would not say, do not let this happen if you didn't have power to overcome it. I believe, as the first 10 verses tell us, Christ has died, he has risen, and we have been brought into his death and his resurrection life. And because the Spirit is in us, you can win the battle of not letting sin reign in your life. But you don't have to live in perpetual sin. And so if it says, do not let sin reign, because you have, been, you have given everything you need for life and godliness, you can be victorious over sin. I want to give you this faith today. There was a point in my life where I didn't know if I could be victorious over certain sin. And I'm telling you, you can be, you can be victorious over sin. You have to believe, though. I think that in this area, people often forget that we remain in an ongoing struggle. And, in, and because we're in an ongoing struggle, we have to remain dependent upon God. There's a reason that Jesus taught us to pray for daily bread. It's because the provision of God is what? Daily. daily. You cannot just go live off of everything past tense of what he's already done. You also have to come to his daily bread and be empowered by the Spirit to walk free from sin. Okay. So the first thing is consider yourselves dead to sin. The second thing is do not let it rain over you. Do not let it rain over you. Third thing. I love this one. This one's my favorite. It's a long one. It says do not offer any part of yourself, any part of yourself as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God who, as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Yes. Do not offer any, any part of yourself to sin, but offer yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. I want you to see, how many of you have been here since I've referenced Romans 12, 1 through 2? Really quickly, Romans 12, 1 through 2 is present your lives to God as a living sacrifice. Oh, thank you. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Back up. Just we'll do this again. Go to verse 1. What is your spiritual worship? Present your bodies. Is it to sing a good song? Is it to be a good parent? No, it's to present your body. When you do this, all of those other things fit within it. If you will present your life to God 
everything else rolls up into this beautiful high calling to be literally, as it were, like the lamb on the altar. You're presenting yourself as a sacrifice to him. This is your spiritual worship. Okay, keep going. Then what happens because of your spiritual worship? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Okay, thank you. Um, the product of the product of you presenting yourself, as Romans 6 tells us, as an instrument of righteousness over and over and over and over and over again, is that you become someone more and more like Jesus to the point that you were able to test His good, pleasing, and perfect will in your lives. This is like repeatedly going, okay, God, I see it. I got off there. Let me come back to you. I see that I need to repent. And as I do this, there is a maturing that happens in me that, that is transformative and it is holy. And the inverse is true. When you offer a small part, even a small part of your life as an offering to sin, every time it, you do it, it shapes you more and more to be a sacrifice unto evil. Participating with sin destroys and erodes the way that you think. Okay, so let me give you this analogy. It's not a perfect analogy, but I listened to this podcast a number of years ago where they brought these neuroscientists and these therapists together to figure out what makes people in moments of incredible duress where they are going to endure incredible harm what makes people like go out, harm themselves to help others? And so they looked at all these stories of like people going into burning cars and like, you know, if you think about like they were covering this one story of somebody going into a burning car, like they, your body's literally burning alive right. while you're trying to pull people out. So they, they looked at all these and they did all this different analysis. Here's what they found that people, and I'm not equating this to the righteousness in God, it's just a helpful analogy. People who had practiced um, selfless love over a lifetime did it automatically when they were under pressure. And you can actually, they actually watch the neuroscience of the brain, like the more that people practice love, the more that it, it shapes the brain to be a certain way. Right. And I've, can't, I don't want to go down this path, but I have read, you know, so much. It's, I, don't, I don't know why I went down this path of reading about psychopaths and sociopaths. <laughs> and, and here's what I can tell you. Take all that away. When you participate with things that are sinful, it rewires your brain. And so, here's what the scripture is inviting us to. By the power of the Spirit, you cannot do this by yourself. It's saying, present your lives to me. And if you do this, you're going to become more and more like me. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those as those, this is back to the consider, as those who have been brought from death to life, and every part of yourself to him is an instrument of righteousness. 
When you offer yourself, you become an instrument of righteousness. You're tuned like a perfect guitar, like a perfectly tuned guitar to play wonderful music compelling people of the holiness of God. You become something different. There are two options in this life. You can be an you can be a sacrifice unto evil or you can be a sacrifice unto God. I don't want to be the first one. <laughs> but here's what I believe happens. And I'm going to wrap around this thought. Is that I believe that because people don't have a big yes to the calling of God in their lives, they end up with tiny no's in the, in the face of unrighteousness in the world. Like if you don't have a great sense of how God has called you to be His, called you into community, and called you to bear fruit and be light and darkness, then when you get presented with things that might violate your character, your no is not very strong. And so the kingdom is full of yeses and noes. We say yes to the calling of God means I say no to ungodliness. And that no is not very large for people who don't have a sense of what they're giving themselves to. Presenting your lives to God is your yes. I want you to think about it this way. If your yes is have a great ministry, that's not going to be good enough. If your yes is be the best parent, not going to be good enough. There is one yes that will shape strong no's. Presenting your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. When you get single-mindedly fixed on my one thing is I'm going to love God and love the people he's called me to in the way that he's called me to, then the no's become stronger. And you have to shape them, but they become stronger. It says... It calls us to, to walking free of these things so that we can fulfill the call of God. I want to, over the coming months in this holy series, talk about things like sexuality in modern culture. I want to talk about economics, all these different things and how they affect us. But one of the things that's exhausting to me is the church has been really great at bemoaning about the immorality of culture and takes holiness unseriously in our own body. Yeah. We have to be those who are willing to walk in the full righteousness of God, presenting our lives as a sacrifice to him if we're going to have anything to say in our culture. Like one of the sins that First John mentions, we know the sins that we know the, the lists that say, you know, the immoral, the greedy, the liars, the gospers, they won't inherit the kingdom. But one of the sins that First John lists is the pride of life. So actually, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to call people. I'm going to call people out of sin into righteousness. But here's what I want to do. And I want to like, give you this last thought. 
is I, I have heard, seen many people try to get out of sin by going to God in prayer and telling him all the things they've done bad. Many, many, many years ago, when Andrew and I got married, I had carried with me into our marriage a pornography addiction. And I, that had not yet, I had not yet been delivered from that. And I felt bad about it, very bad about it, every time that it came up. And I would go to God and cry, and I would be unchanged. I would go to God in tears, and I would be unchanged. One, one moment, I had a friend come to me and admit to me, it's not a person in this church, so you don't have to worry about that. The person came and admitted to me that they had cheated on their spouse and they needed to tell somebody. And so I prayed with them and God has restored that marriage and they're incredible people doing ministry and share their testimony. Um, that was way more than a decade ago, so awesome story. And um, a number of months later, the faith that he felt compelled me to come to him and say, I'm still struggling with this thing. When I was praying for you, I was still struggling with this thing in my own life. And it was the first time in my life that I admitted something not having gotten caught with this particular area. Now, what God did from that was he completely delivered me from that addiction. I want to tell you a lie that the church believes. We believe that, oh, we can just confess it to God and just say, forgive me, and it'll be okay. But what James says is confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. And until we're willing to bring to light that which is in darkness, I do not see that much power over sin. You cannot be willing to just only trust your relationship with God. You have to trust other people's relationship with God to, to minister to you in the place of your brokenness. And so there's this lie that we can somehow get free in secret. And it's not what Scripture teaches. The other thing it doesn't teach is be around people who will ask you good enough questions that you might admit something. <laughs> It says, go and confess your sins one to another that you may be what? Healed. Like, is God's mercy and grace there whenever I weep before him? Yeah, sure. But, like, if I want to be whole, I'm going to have to be honest. And I'm going to tell you that Andrew, the Lord upped the standard for Andrew and I over the last 18 months. I will still have a drink, but I don't do it as often. I'll still watch TV, but I don't do it as often, and I've restrained the things that I'm willing to watch. Like, I'll still go to a concert. I'll still do things because I still think God's called me to be in the world, but I, those things have less influence in my life than they did have two years ago. I believe that God is calling us to a higher standard of holiness yes. so that we can fulfill the call of God on this earth and this yes. life that he's yes. called us to. Yes. I cannot set the standard for people in this body because Paul even says 
He says, you add all these other things to people and they don't profit for righteousness. The Holy Spirit has to release that in you and you have to then be open with community about how he has called you to follow higher in the standard of holiness. Like you already know the sins that are here. I don't need to list all of them. You know that we're called to walk free of sexual immorality. You know we're called to walk free of greed. You know I'm adding pride of life. You know that we're called to walk free of the pride of life. So here's what I'm going to do. This is a catch-all moment. Um, the, the problem to me of the altar call is that we came and we wept and we didn't tell anybody what was going on. I've wept many times and sorrow is a part of it, but confession is another part of it. And so, you don't have to worry, I'm not going to invite you to confess your sins publicly. Um, I believe that God wants to release a new standard of righteousness and holiness in this place. And I believe that the Lord is convicting people of sin and even little compromises that you didn't previously see as sin. There are even little compromises in what we partake in that up until this moment, you're not going to have thought of sin, but God says you're presenting a small part of yourself as an instrument to unrighteousness. And what I'm, I'm going to ask people, if you feel the Holy Spirit calling you to repent of sin, increase the standard of holiness, I, um, then I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment. But what standing means, let me be clear, is that you have to go find somebody that you're in holy community with. You have to go find somebody to confess where the struggle is and, and where the standard is, or where the standard is that God is calling you to increase. I, I, I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to convict of sin this morning. And so I want us to close our eyes. I'm not going to tell you an emotional story to turn you up. <laughs> I want you to listen and sense if the Holy Spirit is calling you to holiness more. The biggest lie I think around sin is that we can't be free. The second biggest lie that follows after it often is it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. So, so one of the two things I said, either you need to repent of sin or it, maybe it's the same thing. The Lord's just increasing the standard of holiness around areas of your life. I want you to stand with me. The third thing is true. The third thing is that you need to go find somebody to, to, to talk to. I, I want to ask you to pray right now. I believe the Lord's going to bring people to our mind to go and pray, to pray with and talk to. Okay, I'm going to pray for you. I want you to see this. Grace is a gift. We didn't do anything to earn it, but it has to be apprehended by faith. You do not receive the gift of grace and mercy without receiving it by faith. Consider yourselves dead to sin. 
Do not let sin reign over you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. These are actions of faith. And I believe that God is wanting to release faith right now that you will be free from the reign of sin over your life. And so, Lord, I bless people that as they go in response to the grace of God and they confess that there will be new faith for freedom in Jesus' name, that there would be new faith to walk as those who are like, who are like lights dawning upon the earth, God, that they would be, that their righteousness would be like the noonday, shining brighter and brighter, Lord. I pray that light would rise upon this body and that you would, and that you would free people from isolation, you would free people from hiddenness, and that even on the receiver's end, that as we receive the repentance, God, that we would be merciful and gracious and blessing and willing to participate with the work of God. And so right now I pray the faith would increase tenfold to walk free. Just say, I receive it by faith. Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at Clearpath Dallas. Thanks for listening.